James Karinchek has been an absolute weapon in extra innings. The Twins had yet to win a game in extras this year. They were 0-8. Things were seemingly set up for Cleveland to take the series from Minnesota in the finale. But that's why they play the game. You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field. Back to Spencer at the one and two at the Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. It is the Selby is Godcast. I'm TJ Soupy. He is Zach Meisel. What's up, brother? Yeah, that's a case of the Meisel jinx striking once again, um, because on Saturday... After the Indians pulled out an extra inning victory, I asked Terry Francona, is Karen Check just the dream, the perfect reliever for that new extra inning rule? And he said, yeah, of course. And on Sunday morning, I asked Terry Francona, what has allowed James Karen Check to just avoid those meltdown innings that we had seen once in a while last year and then be able to have much better command and not have those innings where he just can't find the strike zone. And what do you know? <laughs> Hours later, it all came crashing down. That's how it works, though. The, the jinxes the, the, the jinxes aren't what people think they are. I mean, if we're going to be real about it, jinxes are something cool is happening. And by the time you notice it, you're to a point where the pendulum is probably going to swing the other way. That's how these things work. Something has to be an outlier enough that you notice it. It becomes noteworthy in a story. And at that point, <laughs> you're sitting on a landmine because it's inevitably going to go the other way. That's how that works. So that's why jinxes are what they are. There's nothing it's true. supernatural about it, but there's a formula for why that works. And we've talked about this. It seems as though I've had a weird knack for writing about a player and things are going well. And then the instant that article comes out, it's like they had a terrible spell cast upon them and, I mean, it happened to Fran Mil Reyes. I think I wrote that he was the right-handed power bat the Indians have been waiting for for years and years and years, and then he went like three for 30. Um, Class but A think, can't find the strike zone after you wrote about him. But it I goes the other way, too. It goes the other way. I, I wrote about Luplo. He hasn't had a hit since I wrote the article. Uh, you know, Brian Shaw's been safe, but apparently he might actually be dealing in something supernatural. I don't know what's going on there, but that just continues despite writing about it. It's, it but happens it speaks to everybody. to the ebbs and flows of a baseball season. And if you're not writing about someone, that means they've just been average or boring or just forgettable or terrible. And so, I mean, I haven't written like a deep dive on Eddie Rosario yet, but that's – so I haven't jinxed him. Um, but I don't <laughs> think he needs any jinxing because he's been yeah. just terrible. Yeah, so, you might want to work on that reverse jinx at any time. Any yeah. time that would be work, worthwhile. I haven't figured that one out yet. Well, you keep working on it. I'll remind people how to find this podcast at uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, and Spotify. Or really anywhere you happen to listen to your podcast, you can find us on Twitter at TJZoopy, at Zach Meisel, at Selby's Godcast. Find us on Instagram as well. That's Selby's Godcast there. Thank you to all our, of our listeners. Shout out to – we had back-to-back Zach sign up over at Patreon, and that's not what's noteworthy. It's that they both spell their name Z-A-C-H. <sighs> Any thoughts on that? Yeah, a lot. But 
not we don't need to get into that. Well, you don't want to rip anybody that's coming to join us over at Patreon, right? You don't want to turn them off that quickly. No, spell it however you want, even if it's the wrong way. <laughs> and you can come join the fun there. We do midweek episodes for a buck per episode. You can set a cap on how many you want per month. If you only want to hear us a couple of extra times, you can do that. Just find us patreon.com slash Godcast. Join uh, what is soon to be hundreds of people over there that are partaking in the, the midweek fun. So where should we start, Zach? I mean, we could go a number of different places. The fact that this is sort of, I mean, we could we could technically say this is an emergency podcast in reaction to Owen Miller joining. The we end. had a couple people who used that, cited that as the reason we should have an emergency podcast. We had someone who wanted an emergency podcast because so many people have requested emergency podcasts. That's so. that, no, wait, that's a little bit too deep for me. Emergency podcast to get together. Yes, no kidding. And then you have the reason why Owen Miller is here, and it's not because the Indians made a decision on somebody. It's because the decision was made for them. Fran Mill Reyes is going to be out five to seven weeks is the initial uh, thought process on his injury. So really, you could start at any one of those two places, but the floor is yours. You know, this I'm going to let you have this one. Yeah, I think there are two schools of thought here. One, it, it's nice that Owen Miller, look, even if the decision was made for the team, he played his way into being that guy who was going to be called up first. He planted himself on the team's radar this spring when he was second on the team in hits behind only Cesar Hernandez. And he kept hitting at the alternate site and he turned it up a notch in AAA when he started 20 for 40. And I don't care if you're playing beer league softball. I don't care if you're playing T-ball against kids uh, fourth of your age. 20 for 40 is no joke. I mean, it's hard to find holes in the defense. It's hard to hit even AAA pitching. So he kind of forced the issue, and obviously they still waited until there was an injury. But I I think the other thing here is it's important to remember he is not going to be some savior. And losing Fran Reyes is just a killer for this team because they have two players who have an OPS north of 750. Um, and Jose Ramirez is the other one. And so you lose, not only do you lose a good hitter, but you lose that power threat, that guy who can put three runs on the board with one swing. And aside from Jose Ramirez, nobody else on this team is hitting for power. Luplo did for a couple weeks early. Josh Naylor's run into a couple, but like, that's it. Eddie Rosario doesn't look like the guy who you used to be able to just pencil him in for 25, 30 home runs a season. That's just, we haven't seen that. So losing that power threat and a guy who's been hitting behind, right behind Ramirez, that's going to hurt. And I'm not really sure. I mean, this offense ranks like 28th in batting average, 29th in on-base percentage, I think 19th in slugging, 27th in WRC+. plus. Like That's not going to be helped with Fran Mill Reyes on the shelf for a month or two. So I'm not really sure where this team goes. But we've seen 44 games now, and I don't think it's just going to be as simple as, all right, well, snap your fingers and Jake Bowers will start hitting and Yu Chang will start hitting and Eddie Rosario will start hitting and you'll get something out of the catcher spot and you'll get something out of whoever's playing in center field. I mean, it's it's been 44 games, so there are going to need to be some changes. I mean, I feel like we've talked about this ad nauseum, but you know, it was already reaching that point where you got to figure out where are these hits going to come from? Because it's not they're not coming from all the guys you have here. 
And now with Framil Reyes out, I think that sense of urgency is heightened. Whatever you feel about the type of hitters that are boom and bust, or boom or bust, and that's a lot of what Framil is, he can get nuclear <laughs> levels of the sun hot, and then he can come back and get ice cold. But he's got the capability of when he goes on one of those hot streaks, with, whether it's for a week, a little bit longer, um, we, we've seen him do that. And sometimes it even extends beyond that. He can carry an offense. The Indians have so many guys that at their realistic best, their ceiling is probably reaching for average and maybe even struggling to get above water there. And if you have a few guys in your lineup that are average hitters, that's not a bad thing to pair with stars. When you can get that level of production in an, in addition to guys that are going to be 20, 30% above average in WRC plus, you feel pretty good about your offense. The problem is when you lose somebody like Fran Mill who can carry an offense for a week or two, it falls on a lot of guys to be more better than what they have been. Yes, but probably better with, than what their capabilities are. And I talked about it in one of our, our recent podcasts. The reason why I felt you know, ready to move on from Jake Bowers isn't even necessarily because I think what he's doing now is what he is. It's just, what is his realistic best and what is his ceiling? And are mm-hmm. you that afraid to lose it? Or are you more intrigued by what is behind door number two? It's going to be a lot of that for this team. And at some point they're going to have to make some decisions on people, even if they are sort of hanging around average, you have to determine whether or not that's good enough. But the problem is, you know, you can do that and maybe survive when you have the type of bullpen the Indians typically do. And when you have Jose Ramirez and Fran Mel Reyes performing like superstar hitters uh, on on the whole. But when you lose one of those guys and then the rest of the offense is now ex- uh, not just expected to be what they can be, but probably more, that's where things are going to suffer. So I look at it and I say, okay, I understand slow starts. Who has at least – who who has intrigued you? Who have you watched through 44 games and you're like, you know – it definitely hasn't all been pretty, but like Ahmed Rosario has me intrigued. And I know he had four hits on Sunday afternoon and you know we've seen him use his speed to impact games. I don't think Jordan Luplo's laying down a squeeze bunt in the ninth inning if it's Framil Reyes standing on third base there. So What do you think about that, Mr. I hate bunts? I, I thought it was ballsy and I thought it was perfectly executed. Um, and he did that on his own. I mean, that's, it's, it was really well done. Um, and it would have been a cool story to pursue just the anatomy of how that happens. Um, if the team didn't blow the game five minutes later. Um, <laughs> yeah, I kind of loved it. I, I, I won't lie. Not all bunts yeah. are bad. A lot of them can be that one. <laughs> I rather enjoyed. But if you look at the 44 game sample and you say, uh, like, do we agree? Like Ahmed Rosario is at, l- at the bare minimum. He's interesting. And that, in my mind, would earn him more reps. Do well, you agree? I mean, I you te- like Rosario. I texted you, texted you earlier today that the WRC Plus, this shows you just how sad this has been. But it's crept <laughs> up to 85. Okay, well, that's not great. But considering what, what things have been at that position for the majority of the year, uh, 85 don't look so bad, particularly when it's trending upward. Now, I know you mm. could you could you could – position any player and say, oh, from this day to this day, he's having a really good stretch. And that's probably typical of every major league player. The thing with Rosario, though, we talked about in a past podcast, I wanted to see him play well enough that he was just 
at least going to continue to get those opportunities. I didn't want them to run away from him because he's still 25, still has these tools that I consider very intriguing. And as we've talked about before, I don't know that he's going to turn into the, the star level talent that some people claimed he could be when he came up as a prospect. But there are things in the profile that I think can work that so much so that I can look at what happened in 2019 with the Mets and say, maybe that's as good as it gets, but I don't think it's ever far off from being that. But we need more than what we've seen so far, because what we've seen so far is a guy that can crush left-handed pitching. And he's done a lot of that here lately. And to be fair, a lot of this production here recently has come against left-handed pitching. That's something he can do in his career. And if he continues to do that, um, and play a competent shortstop, then you'll probably live with that, at least for for now. But I want to see mm-hmm. him continue to get those opportunities. And it started with when Jimenez went down. And, and I said, at maybe a week before that, either give him the playing time or send him down. I'm relieved that they picked one of those two options so he can go work on what he's, what changes he's made with his leg kick. And, and before I go even any further, was there any – like my theory on this is maybe they kept him around for a couple of days so he could work with the major league coaches on what he needed to do. Yep, and then, and then yeah. they gave him the homework assignment. Hey, you're going to go to Columbus and work on all of the things. That's why he stuck around probably a lot, a few days longer than, than people anticipated. Am I off base there? No, that's exactly what happened. I, th- I, I, I at least understood that, but I'm glad they made a decision there. And I want to see more of Azaria. I, I am. I don't know if I'm buying stock, but I'm at least I'm adding it to my list of stocks to watch mm-hmm. because he is. It's not as if he didn't have any of these skills. He came up as a top prospect. He showed in 2019 that he can put it together for a full season and be, if nothing else, an above average player. And this team needs that from young players at this point. And considering who you got him for and how that guy's performing in New York, I think it's something to continue to keep an eye on. Well, you say it every time he just slaps one of those line drives to right center field and turns it into a double or a triple. And it's like, you're like, why can't he just be Tim Anderson? Um, Why why can't we all just be Tim Anderson? But you see it when he has that compact swing and he can, I mean, he hit some, I think he hit one down the line um, today and he hit one to right center. And it's like that, then you like let the wheels do the rest. And, and it turns into extra bases and it's, you can see how he can be a valuable player. And I think the main point here is that you've seen some progress over the first two months and you've just seen enough to capture your attention. And like, I think we could say the same thing about Josh Naylor. And I know he was not in this boat of guys you want to move on from at any point, but at least you've seen with him guy who got off to a really slow start, went forever without a home run. Um, and now has four home runs and really has been like the team's third best hitter, which again, isn't saying much, but again, it's an example of someone I think we're all intrigued and we all want to see where this goes. And I don't think you can say the same thing about either option at first base with Bowers and Chang. It's just like, I, I continue like, sure. They'll run into one and they'll hit a single or a double or something, or they'll draw a walk, but it's like nothing is ever sustained. There's no like, even three or four day hot streak here. Um, I just, I don't know. I mean, Bowers is up to 93 plate appearances and I just don't know how much more do you have to see? And for him, he's probably fortunate because Framo Reyes goes down and it's, if they're going to call up another hitter. I don't, you don't have to send down 
a hitter to do so. They're still carrying an extra pitcher, which is another topic. Right. But um, so I, I think you know where you see signs of progress or intrigue in certain guys. I haven't seen that at all at first base. I haven't seen that at all with Eddie Rosario, and it made me think. You know, with him, obviously he has the track record, and he's been really consistent. And you can look at his profile, and like his strikeout rate this year, like totally tolerable. Like there's, it's one of the best on the team. He just doesn't hit the ball hard ever. And, and he's I don't not going to walk to supplement it. Right. And I don't know how that just changes. I mean, I assume it will. I think you have to, if you're betting on it, you would, you would, the safe bet is to assume that he'll recover here because he's done that every single year of his career. Um, and his metrics, you know, they match or they're at least not super far off from what they typically yeah. are. So how much, how much does a changed baseball hurt a guy like that? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think my main point here is that if he didn't have the track record, I would probably be in the camp of saying like, I've seen enough. Like I, I lived through, <laughs> I lived through Domingo Santana and Carlos Gonzalez and Hanley Ramirez. This has been, this has resembled that so far. So uh, it's, it's just, they're going to have to, they're going to have to find something. And I don't know that just calling up Owen Miller is the answer. Or if they call up Bobby Bradley or Daniel Johnson, I don't think there's a solution this year. I just, I wonder if maybe you need to do three or four things instead of just one little cosmetic change. Yeah. I wondered if the front mill injury could be the catalyst for doing that. You know, you and I were just speculating between the two of us, could this be a couple of hitters? And for now it was just Owen Miller and we'll get to his debut in a minute, but they're, they're sticking. If they, if they stick with this, I'm with, I'm with you. There's, there's a few guys that maybe you give a little bit more time to, and I am still very intrigued by Rosario, uh, Ahmed Rosario and um, Josh Naylor. I'm, I'm with you on both of those, but, the the Eddie Rosario thing is tough because you're not going to, like you said, you're not going to cut him now. You're not going to move on from that because you do have a track record. It makes it tough because he's not someone you're going to run away from. You think or there's even a- move down in the order. I mean, you like yeah. he's going to continue hitting second or fourth because who else are you going to stick there? Well, the Indians have this weird experiment that they're pulling where they went with a lot more contact bats, but they also brought in guys that don't walk a ton. And then you, you add that, or couple that with Josh Naylor hasn't shown us the sort of walk rate that he had in the minor leagues. You have a lot of guys that swing and hit the ball and put the ball in play. It kind of cuts against what we're hearing a lot of right now in, in the sport, that there's just too far too many three true outcomes. The Indians are, are okay at one of the outcomes, hitting the home run, but they don't strike out a ton, but they also don't walk. And it leads me to wonder, they've had so much bad luck is probably part of it, you look at the batting average on balls in play, it's consistently been one of the worst in baseball. How much of that is just because they constantly put the ball in play and they don't walk. So a lot of the other at-bats that might end in a, in a, in a strikeout or they might end with a walk, the Indians, they, they hit the ball in play, but maybe they're not the greatest pitch to put in play. But the sorts of hitters that they are, it's going to be put in play and that's going to result in a lot of times it can be an out and then that's going to cut against the, the batting average on balls in play. Right I'm not saying shift every I'm, time. I'm not saying it can't work, um, and I think the Indians will continue to make this part of their new philosophy offensively, finding guys that do make contact. But we've seen this a lot here recently too. The Indians can start a rally, and then it quickly fizzles because you hit a hard hit, hard hit grounder, 
and it turns into a double play. And sometimes you hit the old saying of, about how good things happen when you put the ball in play. That can be true. You saw that with Cesar Hernandez. He perfectly placed the ball down the right field line that spilled between three guys. And then he ended up scoring a one batter later on Ahmed Rosario. That can happen, but also sometimes you had Fran Reyes hitting the ball 105 miles per hour into the dirt and it turned into two quick outs. And they have handcuffed themselves because the starting pitching has been so erratic and they've got nothing from the number four and five spots. McKenzie, Hentius, and Logan Allen have combined for an 8.15 ERA with like almost a walk per inning. That's just, you can't live like that. And so because of that, they've been carrying an extra pitcher for most of the season. So then you have a shorter bench. So even if you wanted to call up Bobby Bradley, in addition to Owen Miller, probably sacrificing a, a reliever. And well, what do you know? Zach Plesak can't get out of the fourth inning today. And you got Sam Hentges tomorrow. So you need yeah, I was a little surprised. Help. I was surprised by that quick hook. I was listening a little bit on the radio and, and Tom Hamilton was even speculating that maybe he was under the weather or something that leads you to go to the bullpen that quickly. Cause you just, I wasn't expecting that knowing the challenges they've had in the rotation for him to get that sort of hook. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, he coming into that start, he, Savali, and Bieber were averaging more than six innings per start, all three of them. And then the other two spots had totaled 49 innings in 14 starts, so not even four innings per start. So just such a discrepancy. That's why they separated in the rotation where, where Hentges and McKenzie were pitching. And it might be Giancarlos Mejia now. Um, and this is just a revolving door. I mean, Eli Morgan could be next. Maybe Cal Quantrill gets a shot at some point. Um, it's, it's tough. You know, this is actually closer to normal. We just, in Cleveland, <laughs> we haven't seen that since like 2015, I think. So yeah. um, they're, they're dealing, you know, that they're, this ship is springing a bunch of different leaks. We've said it's kind of incredible that they're staying afloat, that they're 24 and 20, that they're only a game and a half behind the White Sox. But you need some answers. You can't just keep, I hate to use all these seafaring puns, but you can't just keep treading water and <laughs> assuming that it's just going to, Stop to get better. trying to make the hazards happen, man. <laughs> it has to be something um, C-related. I knew it. But yeah, I mean, because then, you know, the, the one rare day where Karen check falters, it's like you don't, you yep. can't survive that. So they, yeah, they, they're going to need some answers in the rotation, in the lineup. I mean, this is not news by any means, but at some point you got to just pull the trigger on something. Like you said, you know, how long do you need to see this Bowers chain combination before you accept the fact that maybe one of those small well, chain you can send down, but you know, if you DFA Bowers and the pirates claim him and he winds up, being the Pirates for space with this for the next six years and is an okay player. It's like, sometimes that's the risk you have to take. Sometimes you just have to be willing to, to put that on the line to make the move because you, you can't have too much patience. I find it interesting that they've been more willing to move on, not move on from, but make changes far more frequently in their rotation and their pitching staff than they have with their position players. Now, part of that is because as you said, Bowers doesn't have options. So once you cut him loose, he's probably gone. But they have been more willing to mix and match there with pieces, parts that we didn't even really anticipate uh, maybe at all this year, but certainly not 
in the month of May that I think we're going to be seeing Mejia and and Henches and maybe even Nick Sandlin. I could actually go on for quite a bit. But they've made some adjustments there. But offensively, they've tried to kind of stick with it and see what they've got there. Are are you surprised at all of that? Not as much because I think it's the experience. It's If you really think about it, like McKenzie – it's incredible that he pitched and pitched as well as he did last year because the guy hadn't pitched in like almost two years, never pitched a triple a and was coming off injuries and you just throw him into the fire. Um, and he excelled. So to expect him to just never need a trip back to triple a to have this all figured out was probably being a little ambitious and like, Henches, it's the same thing. It's like in 2019, the last full season, he was absolutely dreadful and was like, he, he couldn't get anybody out. He was walking a ton of people. Just, just it, it wasn't working. And then 2020, he pitches at the alternate site and he looks really good. But like no one had seen that in a real game setting. And all of a sudden he's just in the major leagues now and you got to kind of figure it out at that level. Um, so... It's tough. I, I think the, we're seeing the effects of no minor league season in 2020 because I think there's just less known about where these guys truly stand. And with the rotation, I just think that it's, it's more inexperience. I mean, Bowers was up in the majors in 2018 and 2019. So um, like you said, he's out of options. This is his last shot at it in Cleveland. Um, and with the other guys, I think it, you know, they're just, I, I know there are a lot of names at AAA Nolan Jones and Daniel Johnson and Bobby Bradley and Gabriel Arias. But those guys are either like Arias and Jones need more time at AAA. I've seen people clamoring for Nolan Jones. He's off to a miserable start. He's never proven that he can hit left-handed pitching and he's learning new positions. Like he's going to be a AAA for a while unless there's some crazy drastic change. Yeah. I have no problem with that whatsoever. Him or Arias are clearly in a different tier as far as guys that you're eager to, eager or just ready to see in the major leagues than Bobby Bradley and Daniel Johnson and, and Owen Miller was. Yeah, and I think I'm, I'm, I know I'm contradicting myself a little bit because I'm saying, hey, I've seen enough of Bowers. I've seen enough of Chang. I've seen enough of not having an answer in center field. But at the same time, I understand like there's no one in AAA who is ready for, for a major league opportunity who's like a slam dunk. Like Daniel Johnson should be at the major league level and be playing – against every right-handed pitcher. But I also don't believe that he is some long-term solution, future all-star. I think it's the same thing with Bobby Bradley. It's the same thing with Oscar Mercado. Like, So I understand the patience on the hitting side in some respects, um, or at least relative to the pitching side, where you have your three horses that you can rely on, and after that, like all these guys are lacking experience, and they're – they're missing parts of their minor league resume because of the pandemic. And it's just, it's a mess. Um, you know, those, these kids are like McKenzie's 23. Hentges yeah. is 24. Logan Allen, I think is 23. So it's like, they're so young and inexperienced and it's Mejia. It, it's the same thing. Like he, he made two starts at triple a this year. That that's it. So I, I know Plesak and, and Savali didn't spend much time at triple a either. I don't think Bieber did either, but like, those are the exceptions to the rule. And I think they're just trying to find someone who can give them five innings because it didn't look like McKenzie was close to figuring that out. Well, let's talk a little bit more about him because a week ago at this time, I think you and I both said we're willing to give him some extra time in the major leagues. At least for me, 
I thought the growth needed to come at the major league level. But I also think there's there's a mental aspect of this that you can't forget. And we do get caught up too much probably in just looking at data and forget that there's a, an element here that can't be quantified at all times or, or perhaps ever. And for him, I, I worried that what he was gaining from working with the big league pitching coaches and getting the reps against big league competition and what maybe he wouldn't gain by just going down to AAA and blowing guys away with people that are willing to swing at the pitches that major leaguers aren't. What I'm concerned about Zach is, is he going to get beat up too much mentally and have that confidence mm-hmm. shaken? And f- from afar, from someone that doesn't know a hell of a lot about pitching, it seems like someone that has shied away from just attacking the way that he can and maybe has pitched, tried to pitch away from contact, making perfect pitches, sometimes overthrowing, sometimes underthrowing in a, an effort to get the ball in the strike zone. And to me, he's put himself in so many bad counts by throwing the ball outside the zone so much that guys can just hone in on the fastball and they've crushed it. And here recently, as, as much as I wanted to see him get some more time at this time last week, I texted after his last start and I said, I can, I can certainly understand if they send him down at this point. And they obviously felt the same. We roll our eyes when we hear the same cliches over and over and over again. But Carl Willis said he needs to trust his stuff. And it really applies here. Like he needs to go to AAA and blow that fastball by some guys and pitch ahead in the count and get them to chase at a curveball out of the zone. And remember what that feels like because that's the sort of edge he had when he came up. Remember his debut? He's throwing it 96 past Miggy and like doing a little spin after his leg kick and walking off to hypnotize by Biggie playing and like all was right in the world. And he felt probably like he was the King and, and could strike out anybody. And uh, he pitched like that for a month and there is hesitation. It is a mental block. I, I, I hesitated to compare him to Danny Salazar on a pod. I don't know, a few weeks ago, but the more I think about it, the more I think it applies where it's like, you've got, the gift. You have the talent. You have what it takes. You proved that last year. You're still proving it because even though his fastball is only 90, 91, 92 right now, guys are still swinging and missing. They're swinging and missing at his slider and his curveball. Like the stuff is there. And he can go through one, two, sometimes three innings and look just completely untouchable. Mm-hmm. But it is this mental hurdle. And I think we saw this with Salazar sometimes too. Maybe Salazar's was a little more fear of injury, um, but just not trusting your stuff, not believing that it doesn't matter who the hitter is. If I just do my thing, I'll be okay. And if you, if he fell behind 2-0, like you said, you know, I looked up the numbers. It was like, if he fell behind 3-1, he was throwing a fastball 88% of the time. Right. If, it was three, if it was 3-0, it was a fastball 100% of the time. If it, even if it was 2-0, it was like 75% of the time. If you're a hitter, that's a pretty easy formula to figure out. <laughs> and that's that explains why they were crushing it. You know, his exit velocity, yeah. his hard hit rate, that stuff was all like the worst in the league among all starting pitchers. So it's a simple formula. And I think that's why they gave him so much rope where he was still going out there every five days, even though he struggled to get through four innings, is because if you just pitch ahead in the count and believe in your stuff, then 
we've seen like this can work, but it yeah. just and he he needs that trip to as Terry Francona said, like reset, build from the ground up, just get ahead in the count to guys who aren't as talented or aren't as equipped to to face you, and and then you have that confidence and come back up and keep pitching like that. Yeah, and he's someone that I think made some sense to tweak the arsenal a bit. Thought it was a little bit too much fastball heavy, but so much of that is what you're saying that he's behind mm-hmm. the count that he feels like he needs to throw a strike. He gets into these situations where he has no other alternative because he's just not feeling the, the same conviction really in any of his stuff. But if you can't get your fastball over, I would imagine as a pitcher, you feel helpless because then you feel like you can't execute anything. The breaking stuff, you know, some guys are gifted and can throw it for strikes consistently, but oftentimes that breaking stuff or the, the change-ups, you're throwing that off of the fastball um, or in some cases you can work backwards, but you use that stuff outside the zone a bit so that you can get your swing and swings and misses. You can get your weak contact. And when you're just resorting to always need to throw the ball into the zone and the hitter knowing that it's a recipe for disaster. And it's why I've hesitated to be as nervous ab- about him as others, because I think he still has the capability to be a good major league pitcher. And I don't think the the actual numbers tell the true tale about how good his stuff can be. I think he's just putting himself in a really bad spot, and he's completely predictable. And I would love to see more breaking stuff, but if he's just not feeling confident in throwing that kind of stuff, I understand why the catcher keeps having to put the number one down. And then they just they, they go back to the dugout, and he goes back to the dugout long before he wants to. That's just the position I think he's putting himself in. And then I wonder if he comes, if this works and he pitches well at AAA, I wonder if he comes back throwing a little bit harder just because he'll be throwing with more conviction, more confidence instead of, well, you know, I'm down on the count 3-1, throwing a fastball here and it has to go in the strike zone, but also can't be a meatball, can't be right down the middle or else they're going to crush it for a three-run homer. So let me just like try to, groove this in right where I want. And so I'm not really going to let it go as hard as I probably can. And mm-hmm. that's how you get 89.7, something like that. Well, and he was, the Indians do so much in the off season of telling pitchers or helping pitchers decide what they're going to work on. And maybe you can shed some more light on, on this too. It doesn't sound like with, with Tristan, they gave him much as far as tweaking individual pitches, just, trying to build more on what he already was to figure out what he was going to be. And then they can maybe make some tweaks off of that. And he's still very early in this process and he doesn't have the same development that a lot of guys did because he had to take so much time off. And that's the unfortunate part for him. Yeah. That that's the thing is that remember he was getting ready to make his first appearance of cactus league action right when the pandemic hit and he hadn't pitched the entire year before and I think his season ended in 2018 and at the end of August. So this was a guy who was about 18 months removed from his first, from, from his most recent appearance in competitive setting. Then the pandemic hits and he's got to wait another four months to get to, to summer camp. And then he's got to wait another month at the alternate site. And then finally gets like th- this. We hear all the time, Chris Antonetti say, you know, development is very rarely, is it linear? You don't just, cruise along go, okay, rookie ball, then a ball, then double a, then triple a, and then the majors and no hiccups or setbacks or anything like that. Like that's rare to begin with, but you, you think of his path and it's, I mean, that's not how you would draw it up. So 
there are going to be setbacks. And that's, that's the theme here with so many of these guys. And that's why we've said it over and over again that I think just the, the common denominator with this season is just figuring out who is part of the future and who isn't and, and where yeah. these people fit and how to get them in that right spot. And well, so with him, this is the necessary move. Well, and the Indians are in this position where you might have other teams that are trying to break in young players. And if for a good team, maybe it's in a very small role. And for a bad team, you can go out there and, and poop the bed some because eh, you, the players want to go win. The coaches want to go win. But if you don't, okay, this is kind of part of the plan. With the Indians, they've always been in this weird middle ground Yep, where – they have to either commit to guys that are going to have growing pains and know that that's going to probably hurt them some in the win-loss column, or they can go with a veteran guy that they think, and this works offensively and with, with pitching too, that they think is going to be more consistent or a little bit more predictable, but you don't get the development that that guy needs. And so some with the pitching staff, like we had a question on our Patreon about whether or not this team could benefit from having a veteran starter. Of course. I mean, what team couldn't use another veteran starting pitcher um, at this point? We do need to stop using Carlos Carrasco as that example, though, because he hasn't pitched yet. I think I saw he's still weeks away from from getting back on a mound. So, yeah, of course, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But the point I'm trying to make here is they could have gone out and added to that and taken some off of of Tristan's plate. But I kind of just wanted to see him get this shot. And it doesn't mean it had to work. It just, I wanted to see it with my eyes. And sometimes, sometimes I'm okay with giving the young kid the shot. The other, the other side of the ball, it's unfortunate when you have, like, let's say a young player come up like Owen Miller and it's like, oh, you're throwing, you're thrusting so much upon, not necessarily the team of the coaches, but I think fans look at a player like this and they think, uh, well, we see what he's doing at AAA. We see how bad this offense has been. Gosh, I hope he's better than what we have now. And you think that he's going to come up and, and maybe not even purposefully think, but hope that he's going to come save the offense. And that's a lot to put on someone that is just <laughs> stepping. I mean, he's after the game and after he goes over five, he's out there with his family on the field and like taking pictures and, and high-fiving people he probably hasn't seen in a while. And this is what's going on in his life right now. And of course he didn't come up and save the day, even though he had a shot. It would have been a great storybook moment, but it didn't work out in the ninth inning. But I mean, to put all of that on him, that's when you look at um, certain things offensively that over the years um, they have gone with veterans that probably you should have given other young kids shots, an opportunity to get prepared to be in this moment. And then you can also look at the other end of that spectrum and say, look at the season that Carlos Santana is having with Kansas City. What if you just plug that in at first base? And it's a shame that 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 was never an option. Now, I at the time said about Santana, you looked at where he was at in his career. You want to move on from that? Okay, that's fine. But you better have... He was also dreadful last year. Let's remember that. That's true. He was tremendous in 2019, dreadful in 2020. As we always say, truth probably somewhere in the middle there. The thing is, though, and, and I was okay with, with going a different direction from him because did you want to make a multi-year commitment to him at his age? I don't know if that was smart. But for what the, the limitations were put on this team... It's tough to sell anybody on. You let that walk out the door, something that is a very stable, proven commodity, and then you've you've gone with this at first base. But man, you better be right. And so far, they haven't been, and it doesn't make you feel any better. Yeah, the crux of the issue, and you alluded to this, is 
how do you contend and develop at the same time? And the last couple of years, they started the teardown, trading Kluber and Bauer, Clevenger, letting certain guys go in free agency. And as you said, plug in some younger guys in unassuming roles and let them develop without it really crippling the team's record. The problem is this year, I mean, they ripped the bandaid off over the off season and now you don't have a choice, but you know, to really lean heavily on Hentges and McKenzie and guys in your lineup, Andre Jimenez, who's 22 years old and needed a trip to to AAA. So it's, it's difficult. I think that's why you have such a wide range of emotions from the fan base. I mean, I get people messaging me on a daily basis saying like this team needs more sense of urgency and they got to call up four guys from AAA. Believe me, I get it. You got other people who say, you know, like I'm enjoying watching some of these young guys um, develop here and, and show some progress. It's like, it's just reactions are all over the map because they are caught not necessarily at a crossroads, but just like, how do you determine the amount of, this is a question we asked before the season. I remember asking Terry Francona this and he, he said like, I don't have a good answer for that because a lot of times it's just like things happen. You have different snapshots of time throughout a season. And like, obviously they call up Owen Miller because Framo Reyes was hurt. Well, what if Framo Reyes never got hurt? When are you calling up Owen Miller? How do you know when it's the right time to make that move? And why is it the right time to make that move, but not another move? How do you know it's the right time to, like, why was it the right time to send McKenzie down then, but not two starts earlier? And I know we've answered some of this, but it's just every individual case is different, but they all add up and you get this sum of the parts and somehow the team is 24 and 20 and it makes no sense, but you've got another 120 games to figure out how do you contend while developing all these young players? And it's, it's gotta be the most difficult thing to do. It's, it's something I don't think any team wants to be doing that. I think the Indians would much prefer that they had a more flexible payroll and they had some legitimate answers at first base and in center field and in the number four spot in the rotation. Um, But this is what they're left with. And so it's just, it's really difficult. And I don't know. I'm so curious. I wish we had a crystal ball and we could peer in and see what this looked like on September 15th, because I don't know if they're going to be in contention. I don't know if they're going to be below 500 and just playing the young kids to play out the string. But are we going to feel like this team is on the cusp of something special moving forward? Or are we going to feel like what the hell was the 2021 season? (laughs) And I think, I think there's danger here. I think you have to make the right decisions. You have to pull the right levers at the right times or else this can be a real shitty season in terms of not just this year, but how you set up the future. Well, you know, it's real tough too when you're out today aside, when your biggest strength has been your bullpen. And let's face it, the reason why, a big reason why the Indians are where they're at is because the bullpen has kept them in so many games um, or as locked down games that they've held leads. And when that's the biggest takeaway or the biggest strength that you feel about your team, in the moment, you could feel pretty good about that. But it's tough to, like, if you're putting together a young team, you want to build it on starting pitching great you want to build it on offense okay also great but when you build it on bullpen and i'm not saying that this is how the indians tried it 
to do this. But when the biggest strength is the bullpen, we know how much that fluctuates. And even guys that are really good can have bad years or can lose it for a stretch. And that's the biggest positive right now about where this team is at, I could say, is that you have some relievers right now that are just absolute lockdown solid on most nights. And teams would love to have that sort of proven thing. But how do you build on that for the future? And and if you go into 2022, do you say, well, this team should be really good because you have Karen Cech, you have Klasse, you have Sandlin. Yes, but that can be fluky too. So that's a tough a tough way to build expectations about a young team, to build it around a bullpen, just because of how volatile that sort of situation always is. Yeah, I'm just, I'm really curious. I mean, the deeper you get into the season, I know I sound like I'm probably flip-flopping. Like I, at first I said, hey, call up the cavalry. Then I said, well, none of those guys are going to actually make an impact, so leave them at AAA. And now I'm saying the opposite. <laughs> Look, I, I guess I'm just, like, as the season goes out on longer and longer, you're also reducing the opportunities you give some of those guys. Yeah. So like Daniel Johnson isn't going to get 500 plate appearances in the major leagues this year. Um, and with each passing day, that number goes down. Same with Bobby Bradley. So how much time do you allot Bowers and Chang and how much time do you want to potentially give the other guys? These are the questions. Like you've got to get these questions answered you have to answer them properly because you have to know what you have mm-hmm. and you're trying to do that while still contending that's it's really difficult i mean carl willis said it a couple times last week the major leagues are the best place to develop players it's also the most difficult place to develop players and they're finding that out and i mean it's like it's like so if john carlos mejia starts wednesday and they haven't made an official decision yet but if he starts wednesday and just gets lit up then what <laughs> Eli Morgan next. Yeah. I mean, you just like keep rotating through. I mean, yeah. this is difficult. I don't, I don't, I don't envy them, but they also but have it, gotten themselves into this situation in the first place. It also feels necessary too. I, I want to get a look at, at these young players and, mm-hmm. but we both went into this season with an expectation and level of this team will hang around the 500 mark, but is not going to compete for a playoff spot. And we've said it a billion times to the point where no one wants to hear it, but you had to find out what you had. You had to. And that means that um, at times and, and a, a fan base doesn't want to hear it. And I get it because you don't want to watch bad baseball. But that means you sometimes have to stick with guys and let them have their bumps and bruises. And in the case of McKenzie, you also have to know when is enough. And you're not you don't want to get him damaged up here because he's just getting beat around uh, left and right. But sometimes you do have to give some a, a bit of leash to the young players. I said at the beginning of the year, I understood why they wanted to get Jake Bowers the at-bats. I completely understood it. But at some point, you got to stop saying, well, there's more in there, or he's gotten unlucky, and you have to make a determination. The determination might be, he's good with us for now. And if that's your determination, I might disagree with it, but you've chosen a direction. But the more when you choose that, you are going away from what is door, behind door number two, whether it's Bobby Bradley, or, and right now, you're at least getting a chance to see Owen Miller without having to have it have uh, have to let somebody go, and and I, and I like that. I enjoy it. It makes it enjoyable in some ways to tune in and watch because I want to see what he does. I want to see Josh Naylor grow. I want to see if Ahmed Rosario is a potential long term answer uh, at shortstop or somewhere on the diamond. But it also brings us back to some 
some tough weeks and times that probably people don't want to hear us discuss growth and uh, guys getting better or getting worse and making decisions. You m- would much rather be talking about like we had a maybe a week or week and a half ago where we just came on here and talked a lot of positives because they were on a really pleasant stretch and that was fun to watch. Yeah, I just think when this team reaches the peak of this, whatever this new era is, like you're going to probably see Nolan Jones on the field and Gabriel Arias and Tyler Freeman. And so you mentioned Owen Miller made his debut and is taking pictures with his family and making sure his bag is packed with the correct stuff to go to Detroit for the week. And like, you're going to have to go through that. I'm going to forget something. (laughs) Well, Zach Plesak forgot his cleats and then went out and almost threw a no hitter. Um, So you're going to have to go through all those firsts and then the eventual growing pains with all those other young guys I just mentioned who are a big part of the, the future core. So there's, there's a long way to go and you, I mean, feel like a broken record. You got to clear through the clutter and you got to make some decisions and it's possible they come back to haunt you. But you know, you've lived with it with Jesus Aguilar and Gio Rochella and all the rest. So, well, isn't it, could could it not be just as true for the guys that you don't get a look at down at AAA and talked about it on Patreon. They're going to have some more tough decisions coming up this off season about who they're going to protect on that 40 man roster. Some of the guys that they don't get a, a, a chance to look at, could be on the, the chopping block. And if that's the case, then you you run the same risk with players that you didn't give an opportunity to. So you're right. It's not an enviable position when things are going well. It could be really fun to find out those answers, but it also means you're going to be put in a position where maybe you're not prepared to say what Jake Bowers is, but if you ever want to find out about the guy that's behind him, you're going to have to go make some sort of determination on the guy. And that, that, that could be the case for Yu Chang and, and some other players as well. Yeah, and they're going to have to make a trade at some point, um, and a, a, a big one because you know George Valera might be an answer to the outfield in a couple years, but like uh, unless they're going to just <laughs> shift a couple more shortstops to the outfield, which is very possible, they're going to need some help out there, or they might need help in the rotation. Or Owen Miller has to pack seven different gloves, and he's right? never even played any of these positions at the major league level. <laughs> so they, they've got they, they're. They've got clutter with the 40-man roster, and they're going to have some tough decisions this, this winter. And I just think like there's plenty of opportunity to make a trade. And we talked about this last week, but you know, at some point, they're going to swing one, whether it's them packaging a few prospects or trading from a surplus for an area of weakness, something. Um, and I mean, you look at the lineup right now, you look at the rotation, and it's easy to point to spots where they need upgrades anyway. So it'll be interesting to see. We talked about this a little bit the other day and we certainly can talk about it more in depth in the next month or two, but like their approach to the trade deadline is maybe the most fascinating storyline. If they keep, keep their, their spot in the standings where they're at right now. I'll give you a chance to correct your wrong from the past episode. You know, you missed the guy that you were searching for mentally that the Indians traded at the deadline despite kind of contending. What was the name, Zach? Yeah, so it was 2011, um, and they were in pseudo contention because they remember they traded through Baldo Jimenez, and remember he made that start even though they, they were finalizing the trade, and he threw like 45 pitches and just what? like a what hideous that? inning because he knew he was gone, and like I what? don't know how the Rockies expected him to. <laughs> 
be mentally focused like was, during was that start? Antonetti and more horror watching that unfold or Yasiel Puig fighting? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Why is that guy in the field fighting people? So I'll never forget. I mean, they were pseudo contenders in 2011. It's funny, you know, Jordan Luplo has the squeeze button in the ninth and I immediately had flashbacks. Remember Ezekiel Carrera doing that um, to help the Indians beat the Reds. That was as they got off to a roaring start. I think they were 30 and 15 under Manny Acta that year. And then they ended up, what, 80 and 82. But they, they were, we all knew they were trading for Ubaldo. And we go down for post-game interviews. No one is at liberty to say anything. And we come up to the press box and a sheet of paper is sitting at everybody's seat. And it's a press release about a trade. And we're like, oh, here it is. Why couldn't they just tell us when we were down there? Wait. You traded Orlando Cabrera. What? <laughs> nobody, nobody expected that. Did, wasn't he just in the clubhouse? We just saw him five minutes ago. So yeah, I had forgotten that. And then Ubaldo was traded the next day officially. But I'd forgotten that. You know, 2011, they're sort of contending. Orlando Cabrera was instrumental in helping as Drupal Cabrera learned to hit for power. Um, he kind of showed Jason Kipnis the ropes when he came up, and Kipnis hit so well as a rookie and took over second base that they didn't really have a spot for Orlando Cabrera. So even though they were contending, they traded the veteran. Um, was that, I think they got Thomas Neal for him. That's yeah, off the top of my head. So I'm not, right. not totally correct on that, but um, or not totally positive about that. But yeah, I guess it's one example of a team kind of contending like this. And I think we were talking about if there was any chance they would trade Cesar Hernandez or Eddie Rosario. And I guess you can't rule anything out. I'm trying to look it up now. If that's Thomas Neal, I think you owe me dinner. <laughs> I was going to ask you if Thomas Neal qualifies as the random Indian of the day, but he was in the guy the guy in that trade. On July 30th, 2011, Indians to the Giants, Orlando Cabrera for Thomas Neal. And then Thomas Neal played for the Indians in September of 2012, I believe. Yep, 5'11 OPS. Then he went on to New York, the Yankees, for a bit. The Cubs for even shorter than that. And then that was it for his major league career. Couple cups of coffee. That's a good random Indian. That's sure. That's solid. Sure. We'll go with Thomas Neal. I mean, he has the dubious distinction of being in those September 2012 lineups <laughs> after they went five and 24 in August. It was just a brutal slog to the finish line. That line, those lineups had like Jared Head, <laughs> Vinny Rotino. I mean, it was. Well, Brutal. maybe when we're done talking ourselves in circles about what they should or should not do this season, which inevitably I feel like we're going to do for the rest of this, we can spend some time talking about those lineups. But we're not going to do that today. We are going to end it here. Any parting words? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone who has left us a five-star review knows I owe them a beer. If you've supported us on Patreon, I owe you a beer. We've discussed. We'll have to finalize some plans here, but maybe um, you can meet us or meet me and my credit card <laughs> at a concession stand at uh, at the ballpark for a home game when full capacity is yeah. back in action in a little over a week. So we'll get some details on that soon. But all you people who have said, eh, you made that up, you're not actually going <laughs> to... Oh, shove it. Beer's on me coming soon. 
For Zach Meisel, I'm TJ Zuppi. We're out of here. We'll see you at patreon.com slash Selby's Godcast. We're out of here. See ya.